to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. We are all braver than we believe we are. And Dale Hummel. Fall seven times, stand up eight. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel, along with co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. Ryan, it was a great week at Oklahoma City. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. That was so much fun. We need to do more of those. Of course, Dale doesn't like doing them. Dale was scared to death that this was going to be a big, horrible mess. And Dale didn't want anything to do with it whatsoever at all in the three hours (laughs) up to it. I thought his head was going to rotate around and he was going to vomit pea soup like on The Exorcist. But no, it was great. Now, we do have we do need to clarify that just a little bit, Ryan. We have a. we had some issues trying to, to get that all to come together. And initially I thought, well... Which you were not there for any of the issues. Oh, I had to deal with a lot of the issues via the phone and making sure we had permission and, and the things that, that are, are done behind the scenes that we just oh, assume my. are going to take place. With right. that said, I do want to give a thank you to Walton Webcasting and Kennedy Ventures for allowing us to stream that live on Facebook. Also, a thank you to our champion exhibitors that uh, came over after. Oh the my god, they were pictures. so good! They were no, so they, good. They, that that was fun. I I mean, I would like to to maybe reach back the out. The little those, boy, Rain's Casta, that made fun of you. That had the grand champions do. That made fun of your obsession with aliens in China. That my heart will He's, forever he is, be his. I he mean, is a forever. good good kid. And thank you to Craig Beckmeyer for I know he was running running late and caught some traffic, but made it there just in time to give us an interview before he went out on that champion lamb selection and and i think we voted that was the deepest maybe oh, champion drive of, of it, the species. it was it was not close even though he did not use the right ones no, no i'm joking he could have he could have <laughs> grabbed a hold of that white cross he could have just i'm done just that saying thing. i was really disappointed that he didn't put that one in there that was like one of my top three favorite animals of the but whole you thing. you have to you have to take a deep breath and <sighs> realize we are at the closest we were 50 yards from him no, I'm not saying, I'm just joking about the thing, but that literally from where I was sitting, that was one of the more, well, but you don't handle them, you don't feel them, and that one, it just may not have been as much his kind. When you have a lineup that deep, no, that that is, that is his any. kind. I well, promise you, good Evidently looking, good Evidently it wasn't enough because no. he's still getting him in the top three. I think, I think, and we're, we'll, we'll, I'll have this discussion with Craig at some point. I have an issue that when we get to the top end of these lambs, oh lord, that here there we go is again. more, more than enough muscle there, and and I like muscle. I want, I love stout cattle. I I want muscle. I don't ever want to get a, get away from that. But we've gone so far in the lamb ring that once we get in that top twenty percent, or even probably top fifty percent, just about on on the at the better shows, there is enough muscle there. So when we get out there, uh, an advantage in muscle from one to another. In my mind, I can just about throw it out the window and say they've all got enough. And I have nothing wrong with using the heaviest muscled one if it's also the best built, the best looking, the most unique. All of those features come with it. But at the same time, if you have one better built, better looking out there that's just a little bit lighter muscle, but still way within that window of acceptability, I'm grabbing right hold. So I'm, I'm not giving them an excuse. I have no question that white face cross had plenty, plenty. Now, maybe his handle wasn't perfect, but I guarantee you had enough muscle. I didn't say he didn't have enough muscle. I said it obviously wasn't as much his kind as the three that he grabbed, because when that lineup's that deep, you can literally, on which one hits you hardest. I didn't say anything about the thing not having enough muscle. I don't know where you get off on these tangents. 
I just but listen just to you and, I, and I, I interpret things and in a, in a manner. You that... just go off for five minutes about stuff that I don't even know what we're talking about. But anyway, OIE was great. I enjoyed it. I loved those kids. I thought the production was amazing. Kudos to OYE and everybody that pulled that off. Just a top-notch job. Now, moving on to current events. No, before before you move on, real quick, on Facebook Live, those of you that go back to listen to it, I don't even know that it exists at this point. Yes, it does. Because there's there's most of it is is audio is gone because of the background music. Facebook has an algorithm that they run. And it picks up more and more over time, as our producer Clifton has explained to me. So a lot of times when you don't hear anything, it's because Facebook has taken that out under the assumption there's a copyright issue because the music they're playing in the background, we don't have permission to use. So I, I don't, I haven't listened to it recently, but I have had a few texts from people saying, hey, why, why are parts of this audio eliminated? That is the reason. Well, it's got over 22,000 views. Yes, and hopefully most of those were early enough before Facebook. And you know I love Facebook. Right. Am I, am well, I the most also, excited? They can go listen to the audio on our podcast, any podcast site. Correct. You do know that, right, Dale? That we can go listen to it, yes. You yeah, have to that's what I'm saying. play it at the same time, and you're a little complicated. I just wish no, Facebook No, I just meant if they just want to hear what we said, they can go listen to yes. it on any of the podcast sites. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And do we? While we're talking about that, do we need to mention that Trump's going to take over Facebook, and we will no longer have this problem? He's not taking over Facebook. He and, and one of his senior advisors announced on Sunday that he is coming out with his own social media network platform in the next two to three months. Facebook will wish that he took over Facebook and ran it better. But he's not a Facebook person. He's a Twitter person. So it's going to be more aimed at like a Twitter thing. I think. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I I hope he wipes all of those platforms out. I'm just saying his deal was tweeting, and so I think whatever this is, it's going to be more aimed at the Twitter thing, even though they both moved him off, which I'm all for it, and whatever it is, I'll sign up and you know do all this other stuff. And since Trump has been censored, I don't think he will try to censor anybody on his social media network. I don't know, but like, we'll see. Uh, but the the one thing that I am concerned about is just like with Parler, I mean, the they cannot allow it to be sold and, or signed up for, get the app or whatever. And so that will be interesting to see how that develops. But it is very exciting. No, it is. I, I think that they've surely thought through that in terms of what servers are using, private servers versus something through Amazon or, or somebody else that can control them. Parler's still not back on, online. They had to think through n- that shit too. No, I don't think they put as much because of that. I think they're more prepared, but I don't think there's any way of getting around. We we need, and you you are the most abusive, Ryan. You have two Apple iPhones. I would like to throw my Apple iPhone out the window. Into and I have an iPad, if I and a laptop, and a desktop. They are they are the they are the root of the problem. Part of the root of the problem. Oh my God. Okay, and so, we're going to talk about China today as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me get through the fun stuff, and then you can bore us. Go with- ahead. I, I'm still laughing. I can just see it in my head. How about Biden falling not once, not twice, but three times? Why would you make three. fun of an old man like that? That is, it was hysterical. I'm sorry. It was funny. And all the memes and the videos and the gifs and everything is, and the TikToks is real funny. Real funny. And you know what? That probably gets more attention than 
the crap that he's pushing through his administration into a lot well, of things. Well, he doesn't have a press conference, so he doesn't talk about any of it. So, yeah, him falling up the stairs thrice? Yeah, that's funny. And I believe he, he he is scheduled, assumably, to have a press conference this week. I don't know what day. Probably before this comes out, Ryan. Really? No, I, I heard that, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. Oh, Lord, but... I'm going to have to get on my phone and look this up, because I think that you have fake news. No, look it up. I, I hear that he's going to have a press. Now, his press conference may be a little different. He may have his teleprompter, and he may have people in the out in the, in the seats that aren't true press asking questions. I don't know what kind of conference, press conference, but it would really be nice if he would, would be present to be asked some of these questions. That That would be great. While we're on that, May I talk about the border a little bit? Go right ahead, sir. As of right now, the Biden oh, border. you're right. When is it? Thursday. So it'll be pretty much just before we release. I wish we. I wish I could hear that and then come back and redo the current events. But we can we can cover it next week. So the the Biden border policy right now, anyone 17 years of age and under will be welcome across. I mean, you just have to get to the border, and we embrace you, bring you in put you into housing. They're way backed up. We're only supposed to hold them for 72 hours. We're way past that. Lots of issues there. The problem with this is, and I'm not against trying to help people, the humanitarian relief, all of those things. The issue that we're, we're dealing with here, we're fostering the splitting up of families and encouraging human smuggling of children across the border. This could be done differently. If we take, we have a process that we can, I'm not a big fan of the UN. We can go into any of those Central American countries with the UN, set up uh, stations that they basically can come and, and plead their case for political asylum or whatever that may be in their actual country rather than walking 1,500 miles to the U.S.-Mexico border hoping they can get across and then we got to find a place to house them. We have to worry about COVID. All these complications come into, into play. And right now we have millions Millions of people waiting to come into this country legally that are trying to go through the actual procedures. Why, if you're wanting to come to America legally and you've been filling out the paperwork, going through the process for years, why would you not fly into Mexico and just walk across at this point? No, it was a real good point because now it's so bad. Like in the Rio Grande Valley area station, whatever you want to call it, I don't remember the intentional term. They're not even making them fill out the paperwork for asylum anymore. They're just saying, get it, because it takes like three or four hours. They're just literally saying, hey, you know what? Schedule your own appointment to with the government to say why you're here for asylum. But here you are. Welcome to America. Bye. Not, yeah, not only that, they'll, they'll put them on a bus and bus them to the local bus station. And in that process, they're saying, okay, whatever your final destination is, try to find an ICE office or ICE Mm-hmm. Um, official, so you can you can set up your court date. I think they're almost eight years backlogged on court dates the way it is. This this is unprecedented. I so mean, those people are never going to go find the ICE office. I promise you, they're just no. going to like. <laughs> and I and out. I don't even and I don't even blame them. If I'm in that position and want to better my life, I don't I don't blame the people coming across at all. You know what? Mm-hmm. Those that are are seeking a better life and, and want all this, I would do the same. I would do the same. Should it be allowed because of everything else that's coming along with them, the drug trafficking, the human smuggling, all those things? No. We, we, if we could just blend that and find a legal method that's maybe a little more efficient, I'm a huge fan of, of allowing more work permits. It, let's just document this so we, we have an idea of what's going on. 
So at this point, we've given the drug cartel a green light to come across and feel free to bring anyone under the age of 17 with them via human trafficking. The drug cartel can now profit from the human trafficking even more than they are the drug trade. The last 30 days, they're making more money off of human trafficking. From Central America, children and family, four to 5,000 per family member to get them from Central America to the border and across the border. If you're a single adult, it's higher because the the children, those under age of 17, they simply drop on this side of the Mexican border and there's no issues. They go across. If you're a Mexican resident, four to 6,000 just to get you across the border. Now, when we talk about these numbers, that's a lot of money, but we have no idea. That's a life savings for some of those people to come up with. And some of those don't even have it. So they're going to pay back once they get into the country. It's It's unprecedented. It's unbelievable. And the fact that the Biden administration is in, is their policies are encouraging all these people to come. Again, I don't blame the good people that want to benefit their life that are in bad situations. I do not. But we simply can't open that border wide open like we are right now. It is not going to work. Human trafficking alone in the month of February, $411 million total of $14 million a day from human trafficking. You don't think the drug cartel is going to jump on that and just push it as hard as they can? It's it's unbelievable to me. Yeah, but I I, I got I to, I'm not with you on this. You, you're saying you don't blame these people walking around. No, I, I, I don't agree with that because there is a legal way to become an American citizen. And if you want it that bad, and you want to be documented and all this and to get all of the things that come with being an American, then you do it the right way, like Melania Trump and millions of other people. So, no, I don't <laughs> Ryan, agree time with you. Out. Time, time out. If you can't get in through the normal procedure, you're telling me, let's use Fort Worth Steer Show. They say no fitting stands, or you said something about no fitting, but they kind of allow it. Did you did you maybe fit when you were at Fort Worth or have a fitting stand? I never had. I had a fitting crew, but I never had. No. <laughs> In other words, didn't you maybe take the easier route if it was allowed? This is not a stock show, Dale. This is illegal yeah, immigration. Just pointing out, absolutely. I don't agree with the fact that it it isn't the border's not we need to close the border. We need that wall. We need all of that. We need it as rock solid closed as possible. However, if I'm in Central America oh, and my family's in, in dire needs and I want to come to America and I've already applied the legal way and we're getting nowhere, I'm going to walk across the border if Biden, Biden allows it. It's just, it just is what it is. It's that okay. simple. I don't, I don't want it to happen. I don't, I don't like all the drug cartel, the human trafficking, everything else that's coming with it. I don't think we can absorb this many people into our economy. It just, it just doesn't work in any manner. But I don't blame that individual person trying to better their life. Okay, we'll agree to next. disagree on this one. Yeah, because you're wrong. But next. No, no, no. That is not the case. So do you have anything else, Dale? Um, yes, but but for current events, that is. Yes. That's did what you I'm did you hear about the the meeting in Anchorage, Alaska? No, I don't know anything about a meeting in Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, Ryan, we had the Chinese administration come and meet with the Biden administration, and I'm gonna apologize up front and I'm gonna make a a declaration here that I do not know the names of a lot of these Biden administration people at all. And I'm not even going to try to learn them for, for various reasons. Anyway, they met in Anchorage and it, and it comes down to the fact that 
when we, I don't know who set the meeting up, how it was scheduled, any of those things, but we were basically called out by China for being the most racist country. We're treating BLM incorrectly. We're, we're doing all these horrific things. They're committing genocide. And our secretary of state is there in the Biden administration team. And they don't, they don't come back at, at China for anything about releasing COVID, nothing about the genocide that they're committing on a daily basis. China basically told us, they made it very clear that they're in charge. They will set the rules. And Biden comes out and, and talks about how proud he was of his secretary of state for how well this meeting went. I had a chance to listen to parts of that meeting and go back and research it. And it was so one-sided. We basically just just sat there and took it. And I, I am so out on this. Biden comes out and acts like he's so strong on, on China and Russia and the words that he's using, but he isn't going to back it up with anything, nothing whatsoever. And I'm, it's exactly as I predict it would be. It, it, it concerns me. I don't think the average person out there has any idea, the average person in the street, how China has positioned themselves, how much COVID has benefited them on every single level, and how much of a, a jump start to be the dominant world power that they are. And because of the media, because of Biden's administration, I don't think they want the average person to ever find this out. And if they don't, I don't know how we ever, we ever change this. I don't, I don't know what direction it goes. China. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about Colorado? Sure. I thought my Facebook post was hilarious. (laughs) I did find some, I I don't know 100% appropriate, but I did find humor. I thought it was really funny. Next. Next. That was March 20th. No meat day declared by the governor of Colorado. Meatless holiday. Meatless holiday, and, and the, the sad thing is there's, there's an initiative uh, that they're trying to get onto the ballot in Colorado that we've had many, many texts and Facebook messages and lots of, of people saying, hey, we need to address this. Well, we haven't had a current events, what, in two weeks because we, we were at OYE doing the live stream, so we will address that a little bit today. And I want to be very careful because I think there's a lot of confusion out there, but the general root of the problem is when we have a no meat day declared by the governor of Colorado, when the ag base there and the number of, of packing plants there is so strong that it impacts the economy, I think, to the tune of $7 billion in the state of Colorado. I don't know this governor. I couldn't even tell you his name, but that guy's lost his mind. He has gone off the deep end to, to the extreme. And the problem is those of us outside of Colorado if we don't think this is going to affect us, we're crazy. Because as soon as he declares a no meat day, guess what the other liberal governors are thinking about doing? They're going to follow and lead because it's popular with the extreme left. When they put forth, and, and the initiative is, is, is as such, Colorado State Ballot Initiative, protect animals from unnecessary suffering and exploitation. Ryan, you and I, would agree we don't want animals to have unnecessary suffering or exploitation. Would you agree with that? So my issue with all this is, I mean, I can't talk for, you know, everything, but, like, I I can talk for, like, the stock show industry. The stock show industry, we treat our animals better than we treat our family members (laughs) in a lot of ways. No, there's no question there, and that that's easy. So, like, yeah, stuff like this and PETA, it, it it wears me out because they have no clue. 
And so, yeah, no, I, I, I have never wanted an animal to be exploited or cause undue suffering. But yeah, go ahead. No, it, it's sad. It's sad to me, and we see this in a lot of the ballot initiatives that the the wording that gets put on the ballot is very, very misleading. And ninety five percent of the voting public is not going to go in and research it any further. They're going to read that and they're, they're going to vote like, oh, accordingly. Oh, the poor cow. So I, if this gets on the ballot, my prediction is in Colorado. There's enough of the population centered around Denver, Boulder. There, there's enough. What, what do we they call got them? this guy in office, so yeah, I'm worried yeah. it could pass. No, I, I think it will, but I and I can address that here here shortly. But I'm going to talk just a little bit about this initiative, and then we'll explain how it even came to be because I think a lot of people are confused on on that part. So it it talks about protect animals from unnecessary suffering and exploitation. Great, sounds pretty harmless. We don't we want to we want to support animal welfare as livestock producers as a livestock community. It is in the livestock producer's best interest to keep these animals healthy, keep them non-stressed. We can step back and, and talk about how the livestock producers are out there 365 days a year taking care of these animals on Christmas, on holidays, sacrificing a lot of things, probably as much sacrifice and as much dedication to their profession and taking care of these animals as we find in any industry. But if you want to take all of that away, you can boil it down to the simple fact, and this you cannot argue at all. We care about animal welfare. We want these animals to be well taken care of more than anybody, more than those out there protesting on, on PETA's side and, and the animal rights side of things. We believe in animal welfare. It's this simple. If, if you don't believe any of the other stuff that we're dedicated and we care about these, these animals, if we do not put them in a low-stress environment, take care of their health, and allow them to perform as best they can, we are not profitable, and if we're not profitable, we do not exist in the livestock industry. So it's quite simple. Profitability equals low stress, equals healthy animals, equals performance. No way to, to disagree with that, no way to argue it from the animal rights perspective. So all of those things come into play, and in my biggest concern, not only is this happening in Colorado, this initiative that they're pushing, but this will spread to other states if it gets through. I do not think that this initiative will get on the ballot. And I'm not saying that because I want you to let your guard down. I'm saying that I believe that the, the there are organizations in place that are going to fight this. And when you think about the procedure to get it, get it on the ballot, hopefully it can be stopped because if it does end up on the ballot, it's going to pass. One of the things that we need to bring out here, here's, here's how insane this, this initiative is. It talks about Natural lifespan for the following species shall be explicitly defined here based on statistical estimates. They claim that a cow is going to live for 20 years, a chicken for 8 years, a turkey for 10 years, ducks live for 6 years, pigs for 15 years, sheep for 15 years, and a rabbit for 6 years. The reason this lifespan is important because within this initiative, none of these animals can go to harvest prior to living 25% of their life. So you do the math on that. We're looking basically at a, at a four to five-year-old. So on a cow, they can't be slaughtered until they're five years old. Correct. And, and you know the reality of that? It, it's, it can't be done. I'm not saying that there won't be cows that will be going to harvest at, after they've, they've given birth and had calves and things like that. But our traditional meat market from a feedlot steer standpoint, you can't do it. If you want to put them out on pasture, 
or out on grass for a few years, I guess in theory you could, but it's just not going to work. The, the costs are overwhelming and, and it's not practical in any manner whatsoever. Think about a chicken. I don't know how fast they have those chickens growing, but we're looking at it. You don't butcher a chicken until it's two years old. We're talking like a matter of months. Yes, exactly. No, like chickens are like a matter of months. Yeah, literally. So that, that, and they're saying chicken is eight years old and it, and there's, 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 what, what's the life? A chicken, we have a lifespan of eight years. So we're, we're talking two years of age before they oh, can be harvested. Lord. I mean, that's just one, that's just one section in this initiative. There are other sections and, and there's something in here that I need to address because it, maybe it doesn't matter because that one alone pretty much eliminates, I'm not saying it eliminates livestock production, but it, it takes all the, the packing plants literally out of the state of Colorado. Okay, let's say you're a livestock producer in Colorado, and this this initiative were to go through, well, you can no longer butcher your animals in Colorado. You could still ship them out of state to a packing plant or something like that. So you still kind of survive. Here's another one. This this is really, really difficult for me to even put into, into context. And I'm gonna try to summarize it. And I don't I don't know their their actual wording and how they, they put it into their initiative, but essentially we cannot what are they going to call it? Sexually abuse animals is, is the, the short of it. In other words, they define no contact with reproductive organs, no this or that. If we were to artificially inseminate a cow, we are in violation. If we were to pull a calf and actually go in and try to, to get that front leg pulled forward, whatever we do, we violated the actual initiative. If we were to do any embryo transfer, anything, that that we're doing on a normal production operation, and they have a clause. I wish I wish I could see this. Um, here it is. Regardless of whether the treatment in the is in accordance with accepted animal husbandry practices accepted by the veterinary associations, it doesn't matter. Any contact with reproductive organs, we cannot collect semen from bulls. We cannot do any of these things. So it it it. I can assure you, if the initiative passes as it is currently written, and I have it right here in front of me. This will eliminate livestock production and livestock processing in the state of Colorado, which is in the tune of $7 billion for that state. Mm. It, is, it is unbelievable to me in, in every level. I, I just can't even, I can't even going to explain how, how terrible that is. It's nothing short of, I used to, to talk about this in my animal rights section when I was teaching animal science, anthropomorphism. Ryan, have you heard that term? Well, yeah, but I can't give you a definition. <laughs> okay, we and 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 it's, I think it holds really true. And maybe this is something we need to think about. We're trying to impose human feelings, emotions, and beliefs upon animals. We assume that they want everything we want. They have the same feelings we have. They have the same emotions we have. And and this is absurd. I'm not saying they don't have feelings. They feel pain. They don't. I'm not even saying they don't have emotions. But I promise you, it is not the same as ours. And to me, as a livestock person, it appears to me the environment that these animals are born into is usually the environment that they're most comfortable with. When we try to alter that environment drastically because somebody that's never raised animals before decides, well, we should have them outside uh, and let those confinement hogs go out in the sunshine for eight hours a day, those things just don't necessarily work because they're not accustomed or acclimated to it. There's lots of different directions we can we can go with this, but 
Real quick, and we're going way long on our current events, I want to explain the state of Colorado, how this initiative, and I believe it's called Initiative 16, eventually gets on the ballot. The state of Colorado is unique, along with only a few other states, that it's called a citizen-led ballot initiative. We have a private citizen or a group of private citizens that comes up with an idea like what we've just talked about. They draft language and adjust it to fit the ballot. And what they can do is take this idea literally and submit it to what we call the title board. The title board's sole purpose is to get the wording correct that it fits into a legislative type bill and there's a, a wording to go on the ballot. The The title board, it doesn't matter to them whether they agree with it or disagree with it. It is their duty to make it acceptable and to put it in a form, a legal form, I guess I should say, that it reads in a legal manner. So once a, a citizen has an idea, they submit it to the title board. The title board actually helps them get the wording correct so it can go into a true um, initiative and, and move forward. There's an initial title hearing. They've actually passed uh, now, and it moves on moves on to the next step. They will have a, a hearing where where organizations can speak prior to it going much further. If they don't succeed in this next attempt or next hearing, it can be taken to the Supreme Court, where obviously multiple organizations representing agriculture are going to be there, and they're going to put their best foot forward with the best attorneys they can, all of those things, and hopefully get it stopped at one of those two steps. But even if things continue to go well and, and it gets past the Supreme Court, we're talking about maybe at that point, they've got to get X amount of signatures, kind of like the recall in, in California with the governor. I don't know the number of signatures they'd have to have before it goes on the ballot, but it, it's significant. And I think every step of the way, the agriculture organizations in the state of Colorado are there and ready to to fight this. So if they were to get the signatures, we would still not be on the ballot probably until November of 2022. Now, I, I hope it never gets this far. There's going to be legal battles every step of the way, and I promise you that Colorado is has stepped up and they're ready for this. However, as an individual outside of the state of Colorado, you can contact the Farm Bureau. You can contact any of those organizations out there, and I promise they could use the donations. They could use the funding. We're much better off putting our resources to helping Colorado fight this rather than letting it happen in Colorado and spreading to the other states. We may think, well, that doesn't affect me. I'm not raising livestock in Colorado. That's crap. It affects everybody. We Yes, we can't. We cannot let this happen. We need to stop this as soon as we can. So I encourage all of our listeners, if in any manner, and maybe by by next uh, podcast episode, we'll we'll actually get the names or the phone numbers or the contact information if you want to contribute. And I've I've done a little research, and basically that's what they're saying right now. They just need funding for legal counsel. They have some, but I think we need to go in there with the hardest hit legal counsel we possibly can. I don't care what it costs. We need to find the money. It needs to be be just stopped and done. So it's 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 all in the process. I, I appreciate how serious those in Colorado are taking that. I think the rest of us outside of Colorado and, and it appears as though when you look at Facebook, they're they're opposing the the no meat March twentieth day. I think the rest of the country understands it, but I hope our listeners can take it to the next level and let's let's help Colorado out. Let's send them five bucks. Let's send them twenty dollars. Whatever we can, because it has to stop here. Period. Oklahoma's response is is they're having an all meat week this week. I like that. We need we need these kind of responses. We we absolutely do. 
So our current events is way long, but we have some situations. And that's because of your obsession with China. No, I didn't even hardly talk about China much, but I, you don't. It, it's getting worse by the day. So mm-hmm. we're trying to reach a little bit outside of the stock show world and in just our world as a livestock community. And, and this is serious, guys. I, I do not believe if we step up, we help them out with funding. I don't think the initiative will get on the ballot, but we do not need to take any chances with this, period. Because if it gets on the ballot, it's going to pass, period. Next. What would you like to talk about next, Ryan? I mean, I didn't particularly want to talk about all this, but there seems to be an interest. I guess we're going to talk about my life. Glowing up gay in the livestock industry. Glowing up gay, and, and there has been a lot of a lot of questions, and, and I, I'll, I'll kind of take the lead here just a little bit to explain why, Ryan. But Ryan's life is interesting. Can we can we use that without offending you, Ryan? You cannot offend me. I am unoffendable at this point. And by the end of the story, you will understand why. But go ahead. Oh, you're making me nervous now. Now uh, I need I need the the beep button or something. I, I'm gonna have to talk to Clifton about this. Okay. Okay. I, I've known Ryan for quite a while, and and obviously I get to to visit with Ryan on a, on a regular basis, and and much more so this past year, and. If I I were to make some assumptions and try to figure out what it was like for Ryan growing up in this industry, and or it has been a more traditionally minded industry maybe than some, not that others aren't as well, but I am convinced, and, and I, I'm not going to say that it's 100% of the time, but I do believe, Ryan, that that the day you were born, it was probably already predetermined that you were going to be gay. Yeah, nobody would make this choice. <laughs> it's just You just want it. <laughs> I'm trying to be more, I guess, scientific about it or, or just the simple fact is a lot of people that are gay or lesbian in our communities, I believe, had no choice, very limited choice. They would strongly have to fight the biological DNA, the whatever they were born with to not be gay or lesbian. And with that said, and Ryan has come back and we've talked about this um, off air, there's no reason for Ryan, if he was was born to be a heterosexual, why would he have made the choice to be gay? It, it made, and, that, and that's what today's that's what today's kind of all about, isn't it, Ryan? Explaining yeah. here's here's what it's like, here's what it is. Yeah. With, with that, Ryan's going to tell the story. I'm going to insert a little bit here and there as as I can best, but I think kind of explaining explaining the situation and acknowledging that it's there. And I don't know that in some situations that if you are born that way, maybe it is best for you to, to accept it early on. Maybe it's best to accept it later. I think each each individual situation is probably different. And I think when Ryan tells his story, maybe that that will make more sense on on when the best time is to just say this is it is what it is, and I'm accepting this. I I, I don't know. I can't put myself in your position, Ryan. I, I I can only look in from the outside, and I I do fully believe that no matter what you would have done, and I think you used an example once that you wanted to go to acting school. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I had a full scholarship to go to SMU to, to study acting and. <laughs> my parents were like, oh, hell no, you'll be gay sooner. They didn't say that, but they knew in that many words then. But uh, I, I don't know. We'll let, we'll let you kind of kind of <laughs> jump in there, and I'll, I'll insert where I can. But I've, yeah. I have lots of opinions on this that may be oh. incorrect, but I'll, I'll insert myself, I oh, promise. Please do. I'm not sure why everybody finds this so fascinating or whatever, but, I mean, I have held 
an interesting life other than just being gay. There's been lots of other things that have happened in my life. I, well, I find it interesting that my very first memory that I can remember every single thing about it, the sights, the sounds, everything. It was, I think I was five, but my brother had shown a steer at Houston for the very first time, and he was a reserve champion Brangus. And so we went down on the floor of the Astrodome, and back then they just, I mean, they didn't care. If you were a family member, you got to go watch. And uh, I remember everything about that night. Uh, I remember Laura Studeville from Only Texas had the grand champion steer. The steer was Charlay. He was silver. His name was Poncho. They brought out this huge flower blanket with this glittery Houston emblem on it and gave her a two-sided banner, big-ass trophy, and I was in. I was hooked. That was it. The that glitter, was, the flowers, it was that, all right there. That, that was that was what I wanted right there. And so uh, we were walking back, and again, I think this would probably be my, if you ask my mother, the biggest mistake of her life. And uh, I told her, I said, I, I want I want to do that. And uh, she told me I could be anything I ever wanted to be if I just want it bad enough. I did not think she thought the five-year-old was listening paying attention or was going to take that to heart and hold her and everyone else to that throughout the years. But I did. And so, uh, but talking about memories, like there was never a question for me, even at a very early age on whether I was gay or not. It wasn't something I talked about or shared because I knew that, that was not what my parents wanted for me, but there was just no question in my mind. I knew. In, in your your parents' defense, I'm assuming they didn't want that because they knew it was going to be a tougher, tougher road. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to make any of my parents out to be a villain in this story. And I mean, or anything like that. I think they, Well, now, occasionally you want to make your mother out to be a little difficult. No, she is difficult and she is controlling and she is a lot of things, but I think she's loved me unconditionally my whole life and she's only wanted the best yes. for me and the decisions that she made as a parent when I was a child and a minor she, I honestly do believe they she thought they were in my best interest whether they were or not and so agreed um, again I don't want to make any of my parents out as a villain in any of the story and that's not the goal by any means but everything in life affects you and shapes who you are as a person and so at seven my parents went through a very bitter divorce. And uh, the the worst part about that was that I was at the age, and I don't know if all seven-year-olds, but because we all know that my mind is kind of different and I'm real different, like I, I knew everything that was going on. I think even more so than my brother, probably even though Randy was five years older, I don't, just don't think he was paying attention. Like, I knew what was happening before. I knew what was happening during and after. And again, it was a bitter divorce. There was custody battles and all kinds of stuff. And they both got remarried. And we all tried to coexist. And it just didn't. It, none of it worked out. And none of it was good. And as a kid, divorce affects you no matter what. And you always wonder, God, did I do something? Or, and so then when it is a bitter divorce and it drags on. And even after the divorce, there's more custody battles. It's not a good situation for anybody. And so that's part of my life. After that, I started showing. My brother loved animals, was very interested in animals, but he also did not care for the worker worker part of it all. Like, he, he'd been just as happy having 15 dogs than 15 steers. 
And uh, <laughs> I loved it. I was enthralled in it because, like I said, my very first memory was that night at Houston. I was like, "That that's what's going to be my life right there. That's what I want." And so, I've mentioned on this before. Uh, my mother married John Ben Caraba right after her divorce. And to be honest, part of the bitterness of the divorce was she was having an affair with him during the marriage. And so that's not something I'm trying to hide. But Now, is your mother going to listen to this podcast? I don't know if she's going to listen to it or not, but it's not like I'm not telling the truth. <laughs> so, I mean, if she wants to get mad over that, whatever. But And he was just absolutely wonderful. And I just could not imagine a stepfather more amazing to a small child than what he was to me. And, you know, I I think he knew I was gay. I think my mother knew I was gay. I don't think my father ever even wanted to contemplate it because he would have such an issue with it. And that's probably why we don't have as good a relationship as we need to now. But I think they both knew. John Ben was not one of those people that actively fought against it. It was just something. He was 20 years older than my mother, an Italian, and he just loved me despite of everything. My mother will say and says now that she spent the majority of the first half of my life trying to prevent me from being gay. And she was very serious about it. I say that, and then yet there were things that she would do that also didn't try to prevent it. Like, for instance, in the first house that we all lived in together in Crockett after we the divorce, uh, on the second floor of this house, there was this big walk-in closet. And if you open that closet up, there would be every Barbie thing in the world. And it was all mine, but it could not come out of that closet because then somebody might see it. So... As long as it was in there and locked away and I went in there and played by myself, perfectly fine. Otherwise, no, 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 no. And so when I say she tried to prevent me, she did. But then she also didn't because if she was completely against it, no, there would have been no Barbies bought. So I'm going to insert myself just a little bit. And I think this is important because it's we're not just talking about, and especially at a young age, we're not necessarily noticing or there there is no sexual preference but rather an affection for glitter fabulous colors barbie those those type of things and that yeah and that's what i meant when i said i've always known i was always attracted to things that boys typically weren't attracted to you know as i grew up and uh was so competitive in livestock showing it really it made it very difficult to have any type of relationship with my brother and because he was not competitive, even though he won a lot because my parents put so much time, effort, energy, and money into this. But I resented him a great deal because he didn't go to the barn every day. He didn't, you know, it it was just, it was not his passion. It was just something that his parents wanted him to do. So he did it. And that drove me crazy. And I, I resented his success. I, I resented the fact that he didn't work as hard as I did. Uh, and so that, made it very difficult for us to have any type of decent relationship whatsoever at all. Also to the fact, back then, I don't know many people that since I came out say have told me, well, I never knew you were gay. It's probably the opposite. It's, I've always known you were gay. 
And so, you know, as a small child, that got a lot of bullying and a lot of tension, a lot of name calling. And so I was that person that I was perfectly fine being by myself. And I guess this goes into the thing that, like I said, I've never really wanted to be liked. I just wanted to be respected. And I didn't have a great deal of friends growing up. I had two or three friends at shows that were really my good friends and saw them on the weekends. But in my hometown, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And I I did not have any close friends, really, at all. And so I was perfectly fine being alone at the barn or wherever, working and trying to continue to do good. And then, again, it shows I've just been a real different kid because even when I first started showing those little boys, they would be outside the barn throwing a baseball, throwing a football, stuff like that. I was always sitting at the ring if I wasn't working with my calves, watching, listening, learning, trying to figure out why. And I always knew I was different, but I didn't care. And I I don't know why I didn't care. I'm going to be real honest. Like, you would think someone of that age would want to fit in more, but I didn't. How would I put it? I I was probably a a little bit of a social introvert, not a lot of friends. But do you think that the fact of being gay or your preferences for glitter and Barbie, do you think any of that had to do with the friends or maybe your competitive desire, like when you're at shows, just to learn everything you could and isolate yourself to, to be at the ring and learn? What what do you think? Why, why do you not, why do you think you didn't have friends? You could you could go back to the the story you told, I guess. I believe you're you've never rode a school bus. No, never no, never did that. Well guess what? Some people make friends on the school bus, right? Yeah. And Sometimes. I mean that wasn't like me not riding the school bus, but if my parents' divorce was better, John Ben's divorce was really better. And I mean, we had security for many years when I was a kid because it was so bad. And so th- those weren't options. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just wasn't. Got and, it. But no, I but don't. probably I, contributed a little bit yeah, to that situation. Yeah. We had a security guard named Milton that drove me to school every day and picked me up. And when lunch came, and we were outside, he was sitting out there in a Cadillac watching. I mean, like, these are things that really happen. Because, I mean, John Ben's divorce was involved a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of whatever. And so, yeah, it it was uh, bad, too. But back to your thing, maybe I, because I knew I was so different, I didn't want to let people in because I was afraid of what they would actually think or whatever. But I'm talking... This was as early as eight when I started showing till before I ever hit puberty. I, I don't I don't know. I just knew that the stuff that I was interested in doing, other boys weren't. And even most girls weren't interested in sitting up at the show and watching it for hours and hours on end. But I was. I mean, I obviously was not an athlete of any sorts, and that was great point of contingency with my mother because her stepfather's in the Texas high school football coaches hall of fame and you know all this other stuff and so she she was very very disappointed that I I just absolutely would not have any interest in it I mean my my brother god rest his soul was 5-1 on a good day and uh as a grown adult and they made him be on the football team and so all he did was sit on the bench for two years during junior high. And I, we would go to these games and watch him sit on the bench. And I just found it absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous. And so I was just like, 
No, I'm not doing any of this. <laughs> I'm never going to claim that I wasn't a difficult child. I was very difficult. But Ryan, Ryan, you're still difficult. Oh, I know, to this day. And I'm fine with that. Okay, okay. As long as we can acknowledge that. No, I'm fine with that. I just concentrated on sports and academics and, you know, did prose and poetry and acting, you know, other, other stuff. I think it was my sophomore year in high school or freshman. I can't remember. But one San Antonio and Houston steer shows in the same year. And uh, I'll never forget when I won Houston. It was one of those deals that it doesn't happen often. But from the time we slickshirt that steer to the time we walked him into the barn, the whole, like everybody knew that calf was going to win. He was just, for that day and that show and that time, he was just that much better. And, uh, my mother was freaking out all week because I had just won San Antonio. And once you win a major in Texas, you can't come back. And she's like, we have more years to show. And now you're not going to be able to show it at two of the biggest three and da, 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 da. And like, I was like, I don't care. I want to win now. <laughs> now. And she was not. She was crying a mess. And I'll never forget when we first walked in on that day one, we set up uh, a guy that was working for probably the biggest competition at the time. And, you know, it was stock shows are different now than then. Back then, if you were big competition and really didn't like each other, you just like didn't talk to the other person. You like if they were coming down your aisle, you put your head down, went on. There was not as much in your face type stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying, Dale? It wasn't it like if you were diehard competitors against each other and didn't like each other. You just left each other alone and you had settled it in the ring, I guess is what I'm exactly. saying. Exactly. Exactly. It wasn't it wasn't like it is now, where there's the bitching and the social media and you know, all that other stuff. You just left each other alone, did what you did, and it got settled in the ring. And that, and that guy came up and uh he said, Make sure you remember everything this week, because this will be the last year you ever show at Houston. And so I knew right then that like what we all thought was not wrong and uh, won a lot of stuff. But that was probably the most emotional win that I ever had. And I I think I cried for three days. (laughs) I I, I didn't quit because it all goes back to that first memory that I have. And I said, I wanted to do that. And I did. I mean, I'm getting teary eyed right now here just thinking about it. (laughs) <laughs> so and, once 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 you accomplished that, Ryan, obviously you were you were in the industry, the stock show thing had become your life. I mean, everything went towards the stock show and, yeah. and finding success. Once you went in Houston, how do you how does that evolve from there? Well, to now? that was that was my mother's thing. Where where do you go from here? And there were yes. of course there were other stock shows and had it won Fort Worth and all the outside of Texas majors, you can win them as many times as you want. And so, and we, we had started showing heifers and had a whole string of heifers that we showed both in junior and open shows. And so I was just, I mean, yeah, it was like, okay, where we go next? But we just, I was like, we're just going to continue on. It's not like we're going to quit now. (laughs) And I mean, I'd showed other species. I did show sheep and goats and pigs or goats my last year, but it wasn't nearly to the extent of the cattle part. After that, we keep rocking and rolling. Can't show at San Antonio. Can't show at Houston because we've won those. Uh, 
had one El Paso, which that show doesn't even exist anymore, had one San Angelo, and couldn't, couldn't show it any of them. So the only steer show in Texas had left was Fort Worth, but we had these other ones outside. And so next year, uh, we rock along, we win Louisville, and we win Denver. And that's when the inevitable happens. And so, again, and the only reason I bring this up is because I, I want a lot of people know that Denver happened, but I don't think they know the facts. And nobody wants to talk about those. And since it's my story and it's only affected me, I am going to talk about the facts a little bit. And so a couple months after Denver, we get a fax. And I, I don't remember exactly when, but we get a fax saying that our steer, that my steer, has tested out for clenbuterol. Well, of course, we get a lawyer and we go through all this. And so there had been people test out of major shows before this. Certainly after this, they decided to give this to the press and my name. When you say they, they, who was the National Western Stock Show? Okay. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Where where I would say right now it's the exact opposite at this point. The stock shows one. Well, it's because of what happened to me. Zero zero attention. Right. Because it's what happened to me. And I don't think they knew at the time what was gonna happen because if they did and they chose to do it anyway, they would be terrible human beings. I think that was a mistake on their part. But whether they knew or not, they did it. It got released that my steer tested out every I was on the nightly news in every newspaper, all of those freaking news shows, 2020, they followed me back and forth to school. We had to get security to stand at the gates of our barn because there were news crews trying to break in. I mean, you name it, it was a nightmare. And like, when I mean they would be at my home in the morning waiting on me to come out to go to school would follow me to school. They would, ha- and I'm not talking about one person. There for like a week after, this was 20 different cameras. And so it was a hot mess. See, Ryan, I, w- I wasn't aware that it, it went to that extreme. Obviously aware oh. of, of, of the newspapers and the articles and the, the media, but not this side of it. Not, not that they're at your home and, and following. Oh, yeah. I, I was completely blind to that. Oh, yeah. I can't even think, but 2020 was one of them. There was another kind of paparazzi news thing that was big at the time. And like, they were relentless. I mean, relentless. Uh, There was, they didn't care that I was a minor. They didn't care. I mean, they just wanted, they just wanted it. And so anyway, that, that part was awful. I, I think the things that people don't realize is that my steer's urine and carcass was completely clean. For any truck. Period. That's documented. It's out there. You can research it. The only test that my steer failed was that once a steer is given, an animal, any animal, is given clenbuterol, there was a test back there that the reactors of the retinas of the eyes will change forever. And so he did not pass that test. The funny thing is, is that the fact that his carcass and his urine was clean, meaning that there was no type of illegal drugs given to that calf at least 100 days prior to his slaughter. I thought it was interesting that 
when they harvested the eyeballs from my calf, they were put in a temporary cooler and then stored in another guy's refrigerator and then sent to this lab. (laughs) Uh, Also, nobody talked about the fact that my steer that won Louisville went through all these same things two months before, came perfectly clean. Nobody talked about all the steers before that that were clean. But they, they weren't real big on the facts part of things. They just wanted headlines. And so we have a lawyer, and we're doing this, we're going through it, all this stuff. I mean, I'm not saying the National Western was completely unsympathetic or rude. I mean, they even formed a committee to find out if any of this could happen, why those cattle were, because the Grand and Reserve Steer actually got kicked out, why they were on display after they were no longer in our care. The fact that they released my name, I'm never going to get over. I guess if there's any good that comes out of this story, I think what happened to me hasn't happened to anyone else because of the horrific stuff that went down to me as a kid. But the way this story shakes out, and this is another part that nobody wants to tell you. So my mother had the most successful livestock magazine in the country. She had a very successful junior livestock association in Texas. John Ben was still president and CEO of Gooseneck Trailers, which was a huge agricultural enterprise. And so there was all this pressure and like major shows from all over, people from major shows from all over were calling my parents saying, y'all have got to just let this go. You've got to settle. You've got to, whatever. It's still in the news. It's this huge black guy on the junior livestock industry. And so they were getting pressure from all of these people and all of these outside forces just to settle it. But that was a concern. They were concerned about everybody else and not concerned about me because I didn't do this. And again, it proves, the test proves that it wasn't given 100 days prior. What the test that they had, that the reactor and the retina of the eye test, Proves that that calf could have been given clenbuterol any time from it was live till it was dead, and those were going to change. But we did decide to settle, or my parents decided to settle. I didn't. And looking back now, I can say that they made the right decision for the junior livestock show industry. They did not make the right decision for their kid. But I can't say that if I wasn't in that situation. I wouldn't have done the same thing because it was really bad for everyone involved. And I think, I, I think they made the right decision in the end. But, you know, that's a long time and a lot of growing up to get to that point, to be real honest. And, you know, with that, still had years to show and all this. And obviously, as you, that happens and people didn't like you to begin with because you were competitive and you won more than anybody else and you spent more money and you had more fitters this just added to it i was also in high school now obviously it was pretty evident that i was feminine and gay to a lot of people and so that comes into play i mean there was a junior national when we got done the last day uh of showing We didn't have somebody stay with our animals that night because show was over, whatever. Next day, we go out to load up and go home. They've painted fag all over my trailer and they've beat my cattle. Uh, (laughs) 
I mean, it. everyone thinks that I've lived this life that is just so glorious and glamorous and there are parts of it and it has, and I'm not saying I'm a victim in any way, but you also don't know the other side of it, I guess is what I'm saying. It was tough. No, we understand. I think there's, there's always going to be that and, and maybe not as much now as there, there was then. I, I don't know that that would happen at a junior national. I don't know that it wouldn't, but I think it's less likely if that makes sense, because I think we've moved to a certain degree as a society, understanding that it, this is what it is and have become more accepting of it. I'm not saying that we're at the place we need to be at, but I think we're probably better now than, let's say, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I think I think each year, I think we progressively get better. Would you? Can you see that or feel that, Ryan? Yeah, and that's part of the rest of my story that I just, and I mean, we're not there yet, but yeah, I mean, that's why I had to just do what I had to do because I didn't want this to happen to anybody else. So getting done with high school and uh, again, as you alluded earlier, I had won an acting scholarship to Southern Methodist University for UIL when I play and I wanted to go studying acting. And part of it was I just wanted to go somewhere and be around people that were not livestock people, that did not know me and there was always, because I was in Texas, there was probably going to be some, but it wouldn't be nearly as much as going to an agricultural-based school. And uh, my mother was SMU homecoming queen, president of Pi Phi sorority, all these things. So is she, she should just, like, want this, right? And no, <laughs> not at all. She's not having it. She will, she will now tell you, but back then, she's like, she wasn't having it because I would be gay sooner. I I was really she she accepted that but now we're back then that's why she wouldn't let me go then but she wouldn't say that out loud she just gave a bunch of bullshit Got reasons it. that I wouldn't know anybody and I all this other stuff and what if I didn't like it and I'm like, if I don't like it you change majors figure out something you do that's what college is about woman you can transfer you're not just you know once you step foot at SMU you're not sucked in there for the rest of life or whatever. And so she gave a bunch of bullshit stuff. And, but now she will tell you the reason she did not let me do that is because she knew I would be gay sooner. And so I was really still kind of upset with my parents over the Denver Dunn. I wanted away because I felt they sold me out because they knew that it wasn't me. And so I thought about going to Blackhawk because that would be Miles away, well, she wasn't having that either. So long story short, I ended up 75 miles away from my mother at Texas A&M University. And I had such a good time in college. It was a blast. I think it was the first time that I actually found friends because we weren't in as competitive a situation as when you grow up around those kids showing against them each weekend. And it was finally the first chance that they ever had just to like, hang out with me and find out that, you know, I'm kind of funny at times. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not the evil bitch that everybody makes me out to be. And so I got a core group of friends that I had never had before. And uh, I, I loved college. Uh, I was really struggling with my sexuality then. I didn't date much in college. I had a, what I thought was a secret boyfriend at the time. And uh, I lived in a house with two other roommates that John been built for us. And so he was older. He was 25 and he was a real estate agent. And so he lived across town and you'll find this funny, Dale. So 
late at night, I, he would come and he would pick me up and I would sneak out my window and uh, then later come back, sneak back in. Well, I thought I was really cool and really sly about all this and nobody knew. Well, every once in a while, one of my my roommates would go back and put the screen on my window. So when I got back, <laughs> I'd be like, how the hell did that get there? It wasn't until many, many, many years later, they both admitted what they were doing. And they, while they didn't know, they had a good feeling that it was a boy. But uh, so that is, did, that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, and then we had the judging team. And of course, I was very successful on that as an individual, as a team. We won a national championship. I had opportunities, uh, like the George Bush school started up and they took a select few kids from each college and put them in an inaugural program for a semester. I was one of those kids. And so college was great. I loved it. Right when we were getting off the judging team, when we were finishing up, I already had people calling me, asking me if I could judge some shows. And so I was booking some stuff. We won the national championship. And I'll never forget, I was showing open cattle at Louisville and flew back. And so after, Skag, Dr. Skaggs wanted us all to like video the reasons that we gave for the national contest. During that, we were up there doing that. I got a phone call, and it was from the Iowa Beef Expo. And they asked me to judge their steer show, which was going to be in February. This was like mid-November. And I thought, oh my God, how cool is this? And so, of course, I said yes, and I probably should have said no at the time because I was barely 21, whatever, but I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing it. Well, uh, they sent a contract. I, I, I will never forget this because I didn't – that was like my first contract to judge, and I had to get it notarized and all this stuff. I thought I was cool, Dale. I mean, the coolest. And so I sent that back, and then three weeks later, they called me, and they said they were going to break that contract because they had people – come to them and say that they don't think I'm fit to be around kids and just all kinds of stuff. And I was crushed. I talked to, you know, my parents and everybody else. And and I guess this was the struggle for me. The Denver thing, they wanted to do what was the best for everyone in the industry and sell me out. And now they said, oh, no, we're fighting this. You've got a legal signed contract, bonding. We're, we're going to fight this. Because if you don't, they're just gonna. This is gonna happen more and more. So I, I struggled with w- what is the difference because I felt like putting litigation towards a show would not be good for those those kids in that show. Do you understand what I'm saying, Dale? I do. Makes perfect sense. And so uh, I, I chose not to. I said, you know what? I'm 21. There will be other shows, and I, I didn't. And uh, then. I was doing my master's and my mom called. I was working on my master's degree. My mom called and said, uh, hey, at the end of the semester, you're going to have to move home. And I said, why? And she said, Randy's drug problem has escalated. And I'm going to need you to take over more of the association in the magazine so I can concentrate on getting him clean. So I didn't even have a house. (laughs) We had this little thing called bunkhouse. That was a two-bedroom apartment on the side of one of our show barns. Didn't have a kitchen, nothing. And that's where I moved in for the first year after, because my mom was concentrating on trying to save Randy's life. He was in and out of rehabs and stuff like that. And it just, he was really 
really bad off. So I was back home doing this, helping my mom, judging some shows. And uh, the Rand- Randy's deal was now becoming public knowledge. And it was really upsetting to my mother that that was out there. And so she called me in and she said, hey, you know where we're at with Randy. You know all this stuff. And so I'm going to need you to do something for me. I said, okay, what? She said, you're going to need to get married. Oh, my. (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) I'm like, hey, what? (laughs) She's like. Yep, I'm gonna need. I, I need you to get married. And, Did you uh, discuss with her the the issue with that no, right I, at that moment? I, I was, I didn't even know like what. And this is not making my mother a villain, but because she's not, she's a wonderful woman, and again, she's loved me unconditionally. And but like, I am not a parent, but I, I don't. I, I love the parents that say they don't have favorites, and I, I call bullshit. <laughs> I think as a parent, all you can do is love your ch- all your children equally and unconditionally. But because of personalities and how kids are and what, you're going to have favorites because you're going to click with one more than the other. And I know you don't want to hear that, Dale, because you're a parent. But it was obvious from the very beginning my mother favored Randy. It, it just was. And so because... He wasn't difficult. He was more loving and nurturing and, you know, all these things and, oh, mommy and whatever. And I just was not that bitch. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go backwards here now that you brought up this, this marriage thing. While you were in college, did you date girls? A little. Just, and it was merely for public perception. I, I dated a couple girls in college. You, you really had zero interest. I thought they were lovely girls. And, you know, sharp and intelligent. And yes, they were beautiful. But no, I had zero interest physically. Fun, fun, to, hang, fun to hang out with. Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I had a good time when we did things together, but there was no physical interest. Do you see what I'm saying? Got it. Okay. Got it. I was so dumbfounded at the time. Like, I just let it go for a couple weeks. And so then she's she brought it back up and she was serious. And I was like, okay. So, long story short, about a little less than two years later, I got married. And uh, it it was, it's still the best party I've ever been to. And I joke now that I, I say I would get married again to a woman for that party. I don't mean that, but I do joke because it's still the best party I've ever been to. But... Uh, 800 people showed up, and I'm going to say that 700 of them were there just to see if I actually would go through with it, <laughs> to be real honest. Oh, my. Dale, you all right there? This is, you're not saying all. I think I've got Dale speechless. I'm, I'm just, I don't, I just can't imagine. <sighs> I mean, you knew this was not going to work. You knew that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I knew. But I, there was just, it, it was just what they thought was best and what. I knew it wasn't going to work, but I was like, you know what? I, I told myself, I said, hey, we're going to try this out, see if I can do this. And if I can, my life's going to be so much easier. I said, and if I can't, it's just a divorce. I mean, people get divorced all the time. I mean, my mother got divorced three times, or, or sorry, got married four times. So got divorced twice. I, it, it, a divorce is, it is what it is. And so, again, 
got married. It lasted 92 days till she ran off with a groomsman. And we, we cannot hold that against her at all. No, I'm not holding that. That's what I'm saying. I'm not holding that against her at all. Uh, she lived with me for about a year and a half before the wedding. I think she had a pretty good idea of what she was getting into. I think once she got into it, uh, she got wrapped up in it. And just like everything else, it, it just it was this snowball effect. And it, there was no way out. Because I remember my best friend at the time came to me the day of the wedding. And she said, Ryan, we will get in my car and we will leave right now. And you do not have to do this. And I had never told her I was gay. Didn't have to. Right. I, I knew what she meant. And I just said, no, 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 we can't. We cannot. No, we cannot do that. I said, there's 800 people here. No, no, we can't do that. I, I remember when we went to the courthouse to get a divorce, I told that young lady, I said, I was sorry. And I did love her. And I did think she had lots of things that any man would find attractive. It just wasn't for me. And I, I do apologize for bringing her into that and misleading her. But again, at the same time, I she grew up showing. She knew all the stories. She knew everything. She lived there in the same house with me for a very long time. I think it was just something that we both thought that we could do and then realized we couldn't. But I love the fact that most people don't know that I was married to a woman. I, I think it's hysterical. It was off my radar. I, I'm not saying that maybe if I were to think back, I'd heard about it, but it... it as of the past few years, it was not even, I hadn't even thought about it at all. In December of 2002, a gentleman by the name of Sam Broadway comes up to me, and he asked me to pick out his two girls' steers for major shows for the next year. And uh, so all during the 2003 major show season, I was looking and gathering cattle and all this other stuff, and that's how... Screaming Bitch Cattle Company came to be. Broadway's from Channel View, Texas, which was a Pentecostal family. So now we've got Pentecostal family, two girls showing in skirts, and the gay. <laughs> I mean, this was quite production. But uh, anyway, and so that's how that came about. And then right after I started selecting cattle for people and program, uh, I went to my mother. And uh, of course, you know, been divorced and all this, but. And I just told her, I said, hey, I know you know, but I'm gay. And uh, she said, Ryan, just don't do this. And she just began to bawl. And uh, I said, no, I, I've got to. I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. And uh, she just said, she said, Ryan, you want so many things in this industry. And if you do this, they're just not going to happen. And it was one of the few times in my life that I actually agreed with Sheree. And I, I knew that was very, very possible. And she said, you know, have a boyfriend. Keep it out of the public and just, you know, you don't have to get married. You don't have to date a girl. Just whatever. Just live your life, but don't come out. Don't whatever. You can do things here at the house that other people won't see at a stock show. And they can assume whatever they want. But they can't prove it. I'll never forget that was even what cemented it more for me. I was like, that's not right. And I told her, I said, you know, I know I'm not the only one. And it's not just about being gay. I said, I know I'm not the only one that loves this industry, 
grew up in this industry and is different and not the stereotypical stock show kid and wants to be successful. And she, she said, well, they need to worry about themselves. That's not your, you know, crisis to take on. <laughs> and I went, no, because if it's not me, then who? And if it's not now, then when? I think one of the hardest parts of all this is there was no one to talk to about it, though. No one. I couldn't even talk to my parents. And there, there was no role model to look at because nobody had been in this situation. And so, yeah, that part was difficult. But I knew that it meant I was tired of living a lie. And because, like, so many people would ask me if I was gay. And so after that conversation with my mother, when they would ask, I would just say yes. It's not like I made some announcement or showed up one weekend at a show and, you know, Wranglers and a solid color polo. And the next weekend I showed up in shorts, glittery flip-flops and a wild color shirt. That's not how this happened. But I just, I started saying. So to take me back, take me back approximately what. Uh, what year was this you had that discussion with your mother? I'd say somewhere between 2005 and 2006. And did you get it across to her that you, you weren't weren't going to? Not in that first conversation, no. Did she did she accept any at any point there that you Mm-mm. weren't? No. Okay. No. Not, not in that first conversation, no. No. She was just, she was like, you have so many goals, and it's just not going to happen. You can't throw away your talent and everything you've worked for. Just to do this. And again, I think she wanted what was best for me, but what she thought was best for me and what I thought was best for me were different then. They've been different a lot of times in her life, but now I was an adult. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. And I think till today, you two still disagree on what might be best for you. Oh, yeah. And since what I was the adult, what I said mattered more now. It wasn't like I threw a coming out party or anything like that. Most people don't know this, but I've been wearing makeup since I was 14 years old. They just didn't know it because I was I was good at it and could hide it. But I've had a base and mascara since I was 14 years old. And so the makeup got more. And I, I don't think the clothes got any different other than maybe the sparkly flip-flops. But the cl- I've always worn loud-colored shirts and had big hair and, you know, all that. I'd, yeah, the makeup got more intense and the glitter and rhinestones got a little more intense. but. Other than that, I don't think... What about, what about the eyelash? When did the eyelashes come into play? Oh, God, that was just recent. That that was only like four, four years ago. Four or five years ago? I don't know. But uh, okay. anyway, it wasn't like this was this, you know, Dolly Parton transformation. I mean, it just kind of happened. But I, I didn't lie to people anymore. They asked me if I was gay. I'd say yes. And, of course, so then people figured it out. Because when you tell one person... Tells one other, and I guess one of the one of the coolest things for me is that more people than I ever thought would come up and say just what I said at the start of this. We've always known you were gay, and so I, I don't think by that point it was nearly as big a shock to anyone. And while they may not, I'm not saying they were overwhelmingly happy that I was owning my truth or anything like that. It wasn't like, oh my god, do you see what I'm saying? I, I I think anybody that knew you at all or been around you, it just it was what it was. Yeah, already in their mind that that you were gay and that that is what it is. I I knew that there were going to be problems and that it was going to be difficult and all this. But again, I just thought if I 
could make it easier for one other kid to accomplish what they wanted to in this industry being whoever they wanted to be, then it would probably be worth it. And so went on through and continued on with SB Cattle and judging. And, uh, you know, I, I've judged all over 43 states, Canada, Mexico, uh, judged a lot. And so I had judged a lot of state fairs, but I had never got one of those Midwest state fairs. And then about five, six years ago, I don't remember, I got the call to do Indiana State Fair. People, you know, I talked about the Iowa Beef Expo contract. Well, when I was engaged, I got the contract for Tulsa State Fair. And the same thing happened. They ripped it away from me. And so from the moment they called in February till the time I stepped out there to judge, I was so scared that it wasn't going to happen. And not that I hadn't judged state fairs, but those Midwest state fairs are the big deals. I mean, those are the things that, that are considered the most prestigious state fairs in the country. I did that show. I I think I did a really good job. Lots of people seem to think that. And I gave a speech in the Grand Drive. And it it wasn't about me being gay, but it was about what this industry can do and the things that it can give you. And that this industry had given me the courage to be exactly who I wanted to be. And that's what I hoped for every kid that was a part of it. it it just blew up i don't know why it blew up but it blew up and from the time i graduated college i've judged a bunch of shows the reason that i judged more the past two years is because i gave up the brokering steers and heifers for a little while i'm not saying forever but for a little while i took break so i could take on more of these opportunities because finding those cattle and checking on those cattle and then in texas from Christmas to April, you're at a major stock show. So that doesn't leave time to judge. That's three months of the year that you can't judge much of anything. And so I think that's why, you know, the past two years, it's really blown up along with the podcast and over this past year. But I've had people ask why or how and all this other stuff. And I I said, you know, this is a real simple process if you want to judge those big shows. You showed as a kid, you go to college, you're on a judging team, you graduate, you start judging shows, earn a reputation, and then you get married, have a family, and then it will happen for you if if you're good at it and all this other stuff. I said, nobody has not only not looked at that formula or that piece of paper and laid it on the desk and said, no, I'm not going to do it that way, but ripped it up, thrown it out the window and said, okay, hey, I'm gay and I think that I deserve to do these things. And so there have been struggles with it. But overall, uh, throughout my life, I, I, I'm like everybody else. I, I guess my life is kind of like a roller coaster. There have been great highs and there have been great lows and there have been loop-de-loos and uh, turns and spins. But I'm very grateful and I'm very blessed. Nobody's life is easy, and mine hasn't been either. But I think it's you just make the best of it, Ryan. That's there. There are parts in in your story here just that you're sharing with our listeners that that I was unaware of. It's good. It, it's good to tell this story, and I think it's good that this industry is is progressing. And I, I think, especially the past one or two years, 
your involvement in the industry is probably gave it a push that way more than any other single thing that I can think of. And, and hopefully this continues. It, it will continue because you're not going to stop. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not going to stop because this is, this is my passion and, you know, it's what I love to do. And it's still difficult to this day. There are still people out there that do not want to see me involved in any way for whatever reason. It, that part is hard. I think, Dale, you had asked me before what has been the most difficult part of this and what has been the most rewarding part. And the most difficult part, without a doubt, is uh, the fact that I don't get those major shows or junior nationals as much as other people do. I get overlooked for them a lot. And they can say it's Denver and that part of my life, but I know that that's not completely true because there are people that judge major shows every single year that either them or a family member or their kid have been disqualified from a big show and they get to judge. And the difference between me and them is that I'm gay. And so maybe it's a combination of those two things. And I know that I'm not just gay. I know that I am flamboyant and out there and all of that. I I get it. And so I, I think it's a combination of those two things. But I don't think they can say that it's because I'm gay, because that would probably be a lot of problems for them. So they go back to this Denver deal. And I, I can't believe this industry that we all love would have the mindset that one thing in your life makes up everything that you are. And that that's it. That that one event that happened to you limits what you can do or should be able to achieve. I, I have I, I have problems with that. I, I don't think that's what the majority of this industry thinks. And if you held any of our lives under a microscope, you're going to find something where somebody can hold against you and say, well, you're not deserving and you're not worthy and you shouldn't get to do this because of that. That's every one single one of us. I'm not a saint. I'm a sinner. I, 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 I've done things I shouldn't have, and I get that part. But I don't think that one incident or the fact that I'm gay should define me. I want to judge those shows because I'm talented. I love it. Obviously, I'm really popular with kids, and I, I'm honest when I do it. I don't want to judge a show because I'm gay. I want to judge those shows because I deserved it. Absolutely, Ryan. And we, it, it's hard. Sometimes we have committees that are submitting names. Sometimes it's a specific show manager. I don't know what the reasons are that you aren't getting the calls on some of those those other shows. We know your popularity and, and support from the exhibitors and the stock show families of the shows that you are sorting. But I think we also have to be careful because I think the masses, the majority of the people out there in our industry appreciate it when you drive to Southern Florida or fly to Southern Florida to judge a county fair or spend 
a week and a half judging county shows in, in Oklahoma. And, and, and that's something that very few people are willing to go out and do that many shows. And I know your specific life situation allows you to do some of those things that, that others, others could not. I could use myself as, as an example. I, it's difficult for me to get away and, and judge one or two shows a month even. But you're in a situation where you can do it. You're in a situation where, for the most part, when you show up at those shows, you're overwhelmingly accepted and appreciated. And that groundswell, in my mind, is is got to push you through some of those into some of those other shows that, for whatever reason, and I, I if I could tell you, I would. The the single reason you're not, I, I don't know. I can't get in the mind of of those people making those decisions. Maybe it's because you're gay. Maybe it's because of Denver. Maybe it's something that that's not even on your and I's radar. It, it, it's hard to say exactly what what it is, but there's something there preventing that. And uh, let's hope that that with the overwhelming success that you're having and in the enthusiasm that you're bringing to our industry, if breeders and other people involved, livestock stock show enthusiasts do not see the energy and the excitement that you bring to this, that's very healthy for our industry. They're blind. And I, I, I like to argue with you, Ryan. I like to make fun of you. I like to pick on you, but I, I have to give you this. It just is what it is. I, I consider you a, a very close friend. If there's some decision in my life that, that I think is important, I'm probably going to run it past you. Good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> I'm going to do it because I'm going to get that. Sometimes the, 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 the honest, transparent truth that, that others may not be willing to just come out and say, and you have, you do not hold back. There, there is zero zero filter there. So I, I know exactly what I'm going to get. And I, I do take into consideration, you've grown up in a much different situation than I, and, and I'm different than a lot of people. And you have a different perspective that you bring to to life situations, not just judging stock shows, but just life in general. And, and I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate you sharing your story today. We might even take it a little easy on you on question and answer today. Before we get there, I do want to end on a positive note, and that is what you've asked me, what the most rewarding part of all this is. And while the intent of me coming out and still trying to like accomplish what I want to accomplish in the livestock industry was just what I said, to make it easier on somebody else that's in a similar situation. And that was important to me. I would have never guessed the... the probably now thousands of people over a thousand people that have reached out to me in some way and not just kids that are gay showing or different or unique that show i'm talking about parents and grandparents that have told me that i've changed their lives and i've my story and what i've done and how i've impacted kids have made them be a more understanding parent I know heterosexual people that have come to me and said, you know what, you have opened my eyes to a whole different world where I wasn't very accepting of gay people. And I and now I see you and I see what you can do and how you can be. And I've changed my opinion. And yeah, I thought that might happen a little bit. It's been over just mind-boggling and so overwhelming and humbling. Like I said, the masses that have said that to me in some form or another, and I didn't expect that. Not to the volume that it's happened or to the sincerity 
And so that has been just, it's been the most rewarding thing of my life, without a doubt. Ryan, that, that's special. And, and I, I think when you reflect back on, on the difficulties and all those things, that has to be pretty heartwarming for you. I, I can't imagine somebody coming up and, and explaining that to you. That's, that's got to be one of the best feelings you could possibly have. Oh, without a doubt. So that's the story of the gay. Now, that's not all that we, we may go deeper into some of the details someday. I, not making this a five-hour miniseries, but uh, that's the long and short of it. So, again, you can't cover it all, but that's kind of the big things. And everybody knows me. I just, I am who I am, and I, I, I have no problem telling you the good, bad, and the ugly. And so that, that's the long and short of it. So for those of you that were interested, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. And before we get into question and answer, our producer Clifton has volunteered to take over reaching out to the advertisers that have contacted us, and he's, he's neglected his duties. He hasn't got it all done just yet, but I think he only accepted it a couple days ago. We are going to go ahead and, and allow Clifton, and not allow, we're going to say we greatly appreciate him taking over that, and, and we'll be bringing on some more sponsors. But with that said, Pope Joy livestock is happy to continue to sponsor question and answer i just sent a load of of goats on a truck going to the west coast and back everything went smooth and successful thank you notes even coming in from some of the the people that received those animals stating how professional how we kept them updated all of those things so we do appreciate those haulers out there and, and steven's not the only one there's other good ones but we Truly appreciate Stephen supporting this program, and I think it's it's from just that educational standpoint and the fact that it's 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 hopefully making an impact on the industry and making everything healthier. So thank you, Stephen, for for that. And Pope Joy Livestock can be found on their Facebook page. Ryan, the first question mm-hmm. comes to us from Amy. What are your thoughts about wearing breeder, broker, or other? names on clothing or garments in the show ring that indicate that you're associated with such. Okay. So this is kind of a big deal at Texas majors. <laughs> a lot of kids have in the cattle deal where you show with harnesses, they've won a harness that says intermediate champion, something. Some kids have harnesses with their names on them. I, I don't understand as much. Like, I think it's a little harder at bigger shows to probably go out there in a, pullover or a jacket that would say Hummel Livestock or whatever. I mean, I get it at jackpot shows where we're a little more laxed in terms of dress code, but uh, at major shows, if you've got anything that identifies you or someone else on any part of your deal in Texas, then they're going to like ask you to take it off or we're going to cover it up with duct tape or something, okay? I don't have anything against that. I also think that if we're really worried about this, then maybe we should be more worried about who we have out there sorting. Because if that's going to affect their opinion on something, then maybe they shouldn't be out there doing that. Because it, it would not affect mine or the majority of the people that I know that are out there that get to do those jobs. So, I, again, I'm not saying that i against this, but I think it gets overblown and out of proportion. And I think, and I, I don't know what the standard policy is. I think on on some of the belt buckles, a champion at Arizona National. I assume some of those things are are getting through. 
it's not identifying you, but maybe maybe success that you've had. Right. I'm not sure where where the Texas majors stand on that, but most shows are going to allow allow that in. Right. You can have a belt buckle with your name on it, and I don't think that's going to be anybody's going to catch that. But like they look at harnesses, yep. and they look at some people do show in shirts that you know have embroidered you know whatever cattle company they are and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that people haven't tried to use this in a way that we we don't want promoted. But, I mean, I'm going to say that people have tried to put a kid at a show in some way to identify that kid as through XYZ. But I think that's in the minority. And again, I think it gets overblown and out of proportion because I think the people that should be sorting those big shows should not worry about it. And I don't think they do. I, I'm I'm going to be honest with you. Even at shows that I sort, if a kid has a logo on their shirt, I'm not even going to look at it. I don't, I don't know. This, I probably have a way different perspective on this. I like the fact that you brought out those hiring those judges. If we're concerned about this, we need to put more thought into who we're sending that contract out or who we're inviting in to, to sort those shows. And and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a little bit more. And and I think maybe even in our next episode, a little more about what we can do as an industry to prevent political bias. Maybe Ryan's the best way to put it, but we, we will, we will jump into that. And I'm, I'm excited about that episode because I think, I think there's some things that can be done that are relatively simple that may have a big impact. So, so all good. I agree completely. Our next question comes from Jill. I listened to quite a few livestock podcasts and I've yet to find one that touches on this topic about breaking show animals. I don't know that we we can go into much detail here, Ryan, but we, we've kind of covered it a little bit and a few other things. Maybe touch on it today, and we'll try to work it into into one of the others. But all you. Well, what's, what species is she talking about? Or is she talking about all species? I mean. Yeah, it's it's a hard one. <laughs> There's a different way to do each and every one. Or I mean, was she referring to every species, or did she have a specific species in mind? Yeah, she's she's talking talking all species, and I'm gonna I'm gonna oh. jump in just uh, just on the on the goat side, and in I'm I'm just gonna we're gonna keep this one a little shorter, and maybe we'll we'll get into it in another episode. My background, our manager Craig's background, was everything. Ours was everything but goats when we bought into this major goat herd operation. In the first year, we tried to break weathers. I I my only way to break an animal is how you'd break a steer, and if we drug the steer around long enough, they usually succumb, and and it worked. Um, we tried to do that with a goat and, and it was just miserable. I, I think we made the worst choice we could ever make. It did not work. It made them harder to lead, all those things. So there, Jill, I think there's a lot of good ideas out there and some things that we can we can cover. We're gonna go ahead and incorporate that into one of the episodes and, and try to address it in further because it's just not possible to to maybe get it all done in our, our question and answer, but we will do that. And Ryan, I have one more question and answer. I'm gonna save only because we're running a little bit long on time, that's really, really good. And this next one that we'll use in the next episode, it may spin into an entire episode because I think you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. But with that said, Ryan, I, I I had kind of an easy day. I just got to sit back and listen to your story. It is appreciated that you're willing to share it. Dale, every day is easy for you. It is. I, I am very fortunate. I'm very blessed to have very good days. <laughs> but uh, I am looking forward to next episode. With that said... 
to all of our listeners out there, we appreciate you tuning in each and every week. Please be safe. Y'all come back now, you hear? 